Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Magical Sparkles for Better Mental Health Show, Personal Growth in Five Dimensions. I'm Dr. Christine Sauer and today I'm with Vicky Nerfling, a wonderful person that loves to talk about the three E's. Hi Vicky. Hi, how are you Dr. Christine? Thanks, I'm great. So I'm and it, it's so nice to hear a German speaking person say my name. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> you didn't the even Ö. struggle. Yes. No, yes. the Ös. Yeah, the yes. the... uh, something <laughs> we are used to learn and uh, degenerating to whatever. Yes. <laughs> I mean, languages are interesting. Yes. So, Vicky, I ask all my guests for now, we leave the three E's because we have to talk about that. But why are you passionate about doing what you're doing? What is it what you do? So tell us your story. So the way I usually tell my story is uh, there's like two stories that I tell, but let's just do the, the one that I do most often. If you can picture, I was driving in my car with my four-year-old grandson behind me in his car seat. And he loves trucks and big equipment. And we in Georgia have lots of construction always on. And he is telling me all about what he's seeing. And he's so descriptive and he's so energetic. And he's using his little four-year-old hands going back and forth and gesturing naturally. And he is so passionate. And I thought to myself, oh my God, when he goes into school, somebody's gonna laugh at him or he's not gonna do a perfect presentation and his teacher's going to grade him poorly and he is never going to wanna to speak again. And isn't that what has happened to so many of us? And it doesn't manifest until we're 30 years old or so and go into a meeting and our boss says, you have to present something in five minutes to tell us what you're doing and you freeze and you feel sick and you don't do anything. You have to have a, a script in front of you, a PowerPoint to read from, to be able to do something that you do every day, that you read, that, that you live. And so for me, I don't want people to have that. In this world that we have, where you have to go online to make an impact now, especially after COVID, I want you to be comfortable just having conversations with people to tell them about what you do and why you do it and do it with that vulnerability and that authenticity and the power of your voice. And so I help people find their voice and become that better leader through my three E's and some other methods. But I want you to just be careful about having all of those things that we build up, that onion and peel those layers of what's holding you back so that you can be that powerful presenter because we all have to speak in everything that we do. You can't get away from it, right? And so oh, that's what I do. That's awesome. And I love your image of the onion because that's how I explain to my clients their boundaries. And sometimes yeah. I need it. And, mm -hmm. and I love it. And let me ask you a personal question. Mm -hmm. That person that got discouraged from speaking fluently, passionately, and authentically, was it yourself at some point? Oh, absolutely. So it wasn't, I did not go to college till I was in my upper 40s. And so 
all through life, I had to prove myself to people that had, you know, bachelor's and master's degrees. And so there was always that self-doubt that I wasn't good enough. And to speak out, I, I knew what I wanted to say. In my mind, I knew what I wanted to say, but I was afraid that it would be rejected or dismissed and I would be embarrassed. And so I just was that silent person. And I joined UPS in my 30s and uh, I worked for the board of directors and the CIO was a fabulous speaker interviewer. And so he took a liking to me and men started mentoring me and pushing me, pushing me outside of my comfort zone. And so I thought, I want to be like him. I want to be able to reach people. And I did a lot of charity work um, way back then as well as now. And I wanted to be a voice for those since I didn't have the money <laughs> to help those charities. I thought if I could lend my voice if I could share how passionate I, I was about what they did. So I was looking for a, a solution and I joined Toastmasters. And that was the springboard to be the development, the personal development that I needed. And then when I saw the difference that my mentoring of people was making in people's lives, it just was something that I knew this is something that I had to do. And all of a sudden, the person, when I first walked into a Toastmasters meeting or convention, people just, I would say I was invisible. And then all of a sudden, the confidence just built year after year after year. And I've been a district leader. I was a region advisor. I have coached people in the companies that I've worked with. I've been a manager, promoted several times, and now have my podcast. And people don't think that I was that scared, unable to speak kind of person that I was because they see me as I am today. And I think I reach people because I know what you feel. I've been there. I've felt that terrible sickness of my stomach. And I felt embarrassed by what I said because I was always trying to be perfect. And you can't worry about that. The best way I've ever reached people that I've coached or mentored was when I let them see me, the vulnerable me, the person that does make mistakes. And, and you know, I always tell people, I, if I make a mistake when I speak, I have not died yet. I have <laughs> not, I have not been put in jail. <laughs> and so do it and just, laugh at yourself. Understand that every mistake you make in speaking or life is a lesson to be learned and embraced. And so uh, it just takes a weight off of you. You just feel that oh, it's like that deep breath that you take whenever you're getting stressed out. You know, that's to me the way it is whenever you have a moment, whenever your speech, your talk, your conversation really touches someone yeah and, and and i totally agree a talk is really a conversation with your audience nothing else and many of us are totally nervous and you you said how you were nervous and i still remember when i was 16 i was very shy and people can't believe it when they see me now 
and I had to go in front of our class and there were only 15 people and explain a math problem. Now I knew everything about the problem and how to solve it. I was at the blackboard. The teacher said, what is right the solution? I froze. I couldn't do anything. I just stood there. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. And the teacher said, okay, sit down. I wanted to go and sink into the earth. Yeah. And you know, the method credit is just as you say, get outside the comfort zone, do it. Mm -hmm. And when I decided when I was a doctor, I knew I was good and it was easy with yeah. patients, you know, when patients are there, you know what to tell them. It's a conversation. Yeah. But when you then go out and speak in front of colleagues, there was my script <laughs> to hold on to. <laughs> Yeah, it it, it yeah. is it is helpful. Then I went to the Toastmasters too. Yeah. And in the beginning, I have the videos on YouTube because I taped myself with the first speeches. I was at the podium. My first yeah. podcast, you heard yes. the paper shaking that I read the intro. Oh yeah, That's yeah. That's how nervous that, that, I was. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is it is the right way. And the first mm. video I put on YouTube, I always recommend it to everybody. And maybe you want to take it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I taped myself doing a little bit of Tai Chi at a friend's house and the cat was also in the picture. She didn't want to be on the picture and, and talking. And so I had to put music underneath. So I put March music underneath. I had lots of fun. It was an awful video, the worst I ever did. I looked at it, I said to myself, that's the worst video I've ever seen. What do I do with it? So I put it on, on my YouTube, one of the first videos I ever put on YouTube. And I said it to public and I Oh, my heart stopped. I thought, oh, my God, everybody's going to see what I'm doing. It's terrible. They will hate me. They will never talk to me again. Called WTF-exercise question mark. <laughs> now, after a week, I looked again. Can you imagine what happened? You had a, a lot of people liking it, right? No? Truth is, nobody saw it. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> so I thought to myself, you know, it does not matter. All that anxiousness was for nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is that. true. That is true. I use it as a, as a laughing stock. And, and I love to be the laughing stock because, hey, it's a learning experience. Just put it, it up there. The world will not end. Yeah. And I've given miserable talks since then. And people are kind. Yeah. If you get stuck, they wait or they help you out. I haven't had it that somebody actually, when I got stuck in the middle of a talk, started to laugh and say, look at her there, she's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. What we usually tell people is the audience wants you to be good. They want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. just in your mind, they're thinking that they want you to fail, but they don't. Mm -hmm. it's, it's as embarrassing for you in the audience to see someone struggling and, uh, I don't know. That that does remind me of the other story that I have. Um, I was in management training for three weeks and we had a small groups in within the 25 or 30 people that we had. And my small group had two people that were like me, had been in management for a little bit. And then we had a person who was promoted as a supervisor and then two months later they promoted him as a manager somehow they didn't realize that this person was terrified to speak to people so every time we did our small groups he 
would give us some information, but you could tell he was really not comfortable about you know, raising his hand to be a speaker or to describe something that we had been discussing. And so we had to do the news, the weather and sports, just three minutes. And we had to do one of those things to graduate from this management course. And it came to the day before we were going to be graduating. And this kid still had not gone up and did it. Every time he had to go in front of the group, he got sick and went to the, the restroom and was absent for that. So I talked to the teacher that night. And this what the teacher did really just changed my world. I had said to him, this kid, just he's great. Whenever he talks one-on-one -on -one with us, he has such wonderful insights. He'll make a tremendous manager because he has so much heart, but he has this block that is really terrifying him to speak to the group. And the teacher said, I got this. And he went the next day. And as you know, in meetings, how we kind of network and talk in the beginning. And so everybody was doing that. And the teacher walked up to him and said, you know, hey, did you see the game last night? And so he went and he just started asking him questions about the game. And the kid says, yeah, I did. It was great. And he starts describing the plays and the players. And he was animated and he was so excited. And he was just doing a great job telling us about this game. And after three minutes, the teacher looked at him and said, thank you for giving your sports talk. <laughs> Dr. Christine, if you would have seen the look on this gentleman's face, the relief, the pride, his stature just changed to be taller, confident. And I thought, that is how I'm going to lead people. And so from that moment on, anytime I have people that I have to work through this, and especially when I work with the youth, I remember that because it is just a conversation. He was comfortable because he didn't think of it as a speech. He was just having a conversation. And a conversation allows us to be vulnerable, natural, authentic. And we don't think about what we're saying. We just say it. And that's what I try to teach people. You know, that's, that's a great story. And I, I can see it in your eyes, how passionate you are about it. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, when people come to you, what do you tell them? Uh, where do those three E's that you are talking about come into a talk? What makes a good talk? What makes a good speech? You know, you, you have to first engage your audience. So how do you engage them? How do you approach? And whenever I meet someone, I always ask, have them tell me a story and see how they approach it. Or a lot of times I'll see you on stage or a podcast and kind of take notes because I think there is so much power in the evaluation to give you feedback that will tell you not only what you did right and wrong, but why you could change it or why it was so impactful. So the first thing is to engage your audience and how do you attract them and captivate them in that first line that you say that makes them want to lean in and listen. And it could be just the way you use your voice, how the, the, the 
um, height of it, the, the volume, or it could be a question that you ask that, oh, what did she ask me? Oh, or it could be a quote or something that touches you. And that's what you want. You want the audience to right away feel, oh, I need to pay attention. And then once you've got them, you need to be able to entertain and educate. So uh, one of the coined phrases I love that I did not create, but I love is edutain. And it's really where you educate and entertain. So often speakers think I need to be the smartest person in the room and I need to talk so intelligently so people will see that I have all these degrees like I saw on your website, you have all these degrees and things. And, and yet uh, your audience is varied and diverse. And if you talk above a fifth grade level, you are insulting them or you're losing them. So you have to be able to educate and yet have those stories and anecdotes that will touch them. And I like to see it as take them on that roller coaster ride where you, you build them up, you paint that picture, the story, that scene, and then you sprinkle in things that will touch their heart or make them, more importantly, see them in your story. So often we want it to be our story, everything about us. And we forget that I'm here to serve them. I'm here to talk to them so that they see how I could help them. And the only way they can see that is to see them in my story. So you educate them, you entertain them and you keep them engaged throughout the talk. They want more. When you're done, they want more. That's so that's, a, that's, the that's three. really great advice. And I still remember watching an explicit talk about nutrition. It was mm -hmm. very good from the content. And it was small print PowerPoints with about 20 points each. After about five PowerPoints, I looked around. The phones were out. <laughs> Everybody was playing on their phone. And I was in the process of doing the same because it was just boring. It was yeah. too much information yeah. and information that was not relevant. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're saying. Don't give too much. I've done the same mistake in the beginning yeah. of my career. I thought that's the way you do it. You overwhelm them with information. Bad idea. Yeah, most, most corporate presentations that they're so afraid that they're not going to get all the information out or that they if this PowerPoint, if you will, is shared from person to person to person and they don't use the notes section, which I don't know why, but so they feel they have to put everything on the slides. And as you said, you lose the audience. When I coach people, one of the things that I have them do is share with me not only how they speak, but also those presentations to just kind of give them some, okay, well, let's look at this and see the impact of this. And I, you know, pictures, visuals say so much more than words. And if I can look at a picture and tell you the story, the, the meaning, the information you need that you now visually remember what I'm saying because of the picture, but it also shows that you are that subject matter expert, that you don't need to refer to the words on the screen to be able to tell what you're telling. 
it is so much better. And it is how you can be conversational. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just talking to my audience in a conversation and I'm not preaching to my audience or I'm not talking at my audience. They're part of it. And so um, there was one that I recently in, um, in a recent talk uh, conference that I went and one of the folks was from another country and very educated, very smart, English, not first language. And all of her slides were like 12 lines of content that she looked at the screen while she, and read from the screen. So her back is to us and it was for 20 minutes. And so normally, you know, I would not, um, you know, want to embarrass anybody. So I got to be building a relationship with her over the next couple of days to the point where I felt comfortable to say, let me help you and took her presentation after that conference and showed her how she could make it better for her and, and tools that she could use by having, there were two computers there. She had hers and the, the facilitator had one. I said, have the facilitator show your presentation that has graphics and photos and just five or six words. <laughs> and on your screen in front of you facing the audience will be large font, what you're saying and have it just go down. And that way you're talking with us, you're entertaining us and educating us all at the same time. And it, it allows you to feel comfortable, but also doesn't make you look awkward or not a skilled speaker. And, you know, those are things that not everybody gets, you know, that's one of the things why I do what I do is speakers will go up there and they'll do a presentation and, and people may or may not resonate with it, but they don't know. Nobody will really come up and tell them what was good and what could have been better? And uh, unless you give out feedback sheets. Yes, but even with feedback sheets, not always will they go into the specifics. Cool. You know, they, they might say that um, it was give you a rating of one to five or one to 10 or something like that, but they're not going to tell, you know, they won't tell her that they might say there's too many words on the slides, but they, might not mention that your back was to us, or they might not mention that because you read it, there was no vocal variety, there was no passion, there was, you weren't connecting with us because your eyes were not there with yeah. us. You just so, get the, the feeling, I wasn't a good talk, I didn't like it. That's yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, so she's gonna keep on doing that. With my fear was, she had such a great message to share with people, but my fear was that she would not be asked to speak often or each time she spoke, she would lose her audience and, and lose that credibility. And I just did not want that for her. You know, that's really great because those are all very important points that speakers need to heed to when they ever want to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I still remember a friend of mine, he was on one of the first podcasts, Corey, he's a speaker too. 
44, mm -hmm. you probably heard of him. Mm -hmm. He always tells a story when he started as a stand-up comedian and he delivered his jokes and the audience said nothing. And he was yeah. so discouraged, he went off stage and wanted to cry. And then somebody told him, why didn't you turn on the mic? <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily have to be that your jokes are bad when nobody laughs. That's a great but story. <laughs> I, 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 I still remember that because it's such a great story. It, it proves really that if your mm. audience seems not to like what you're saying, it could be something simple. The mic yeah. could not be on or they are, have a hangover from the day before and are tired. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, whenever you're so tied to what you wrote, um, I always um, tease everybody that nobody knows what you wrote. So if you forget something, just make it make sense the next thing you say, because we don't know what you wrote. But I love to to kind of network a little bit with the audience before, because I might find that the audience needs to hear something different than I had planned. And it's my job to give them what they need. And so I can switch things up to make sure that I'm meeting the needs of my audience. And I think sometimes speakers, they'll get, you know, they'll ask for feedback as they're talking. And, and you can see from the answer, the questions that are being asked that you need to sidetrack from where you're going. And there are speakers that will just stay on the road. And, and so then you lose your audience you fail to meet their needs. A great speaker will change. That they don't do it. Is it, are they lacking confidence? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, and also um, not to say that all speakers have egos, but some do. <laughs> and so it's like, no, I know what you need, even if you don't. And, and I, I, I'm just not of that mindset. I, I believe that I, sometimes I can get them to where they need to be by just taking a side. I always say that a speech, a great speech is equipped with GPS. And we know that with GPS, it can reroute us and uh, take us in a direction that we didn't think we wanted to go. And yet it was a better way to get there. You know, I really love that. And I spoke not long ago here in front of a local church group. They wanted mm -hmm. to hear something about brain health. And I had a nice presentation prepared and I plugged it in. And then I realized they couldn't see that. Yeah. So I just left the computer closed and just talked with them. And, you know, they loved it. Mm -hmm. They could ask questions. They got them answered. We went back and forth. And when I needed to, because some of them were hard on hearing, I just repeated it, no problem. And it was nice. Yeah. And I went in their area where they wanted to hear about Christianity and what I do in brain health. But I went there, of course. And, 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 you know, that's exactly what you're saying. Sometimes you have to just change it around. Yeah. The presentation didn't work. Well, try something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it's not that, that it's a it was a bad presentation. It's just not the right presentation. It's it's not what they needed that day. It wasn't right for this audience. Yeah. And it wasn't right for that place either because it was mm. just too small. Some people yeah. really big in front of them. Right. So it's exactly what you say. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
What do you tell speakers? Uh, is it helpful to ask, say, they're invited to speak at an event? Should they ask the organizer, who's the audience? Oh, God, yes. Yes. So as I said, you know, I, I was um, speaking at, at this mostly medical people. And, and I, I do have a, a wellness business as well. But my question was, you know, how, how is this present? How are the presentations being given? And what's the audience and what's their, their focus? And the great thing about what I do is no matter who the speaker is or what they're talking about, my goal is always to make you a better speaker. So no matter what the audience, I can come in and, and help them understand how to be a better speaker. Because even from a, a medical profession, you will reach your people when you're a better communicator. You will be able to help those folks heal if you're a better communicator. So uh, it, it's important. But, you know, there are sometimes when I'm talking to people that are in a corporate environment. And some of the things that I might tell an entrepreneur to do, I know from being in corporate for over 40 years, that it's just not going to fly, right? <laughs> it's just, just not going to go. So you have to adjust um, to the audience. And, but, you know, uh, if I would have gone to, there was a, a I did a two-year stint where I was speaking to our customers in, um, when I was at UPS. And one of the customers was a, I think I was maybe 20 years older than everyone there. <laughs> you walked into the company and they had a, um, it looked like you were walking into a, a, a castle kind of thing. And they had in their one conference room, the conference room table was a coffin that had plexiglass and it had a person that looked like Dracula in it. And, and, you know, you walked into the main part of the company and it was this huge warehouse that was just a sea of desk, no cubicles or anything like that. It was just open and the noise level was like tremendous. And I thought, how does anybody get any work done here? But they were all doing great. They were, it was a very high performing company. And I thought, okay, well, as I talk to these folks, you know, I have to be um, listening a lot so that I can hear what their needs are because I don't know this company. You know, I can't make assumptions. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that I try to, to teach as well is the uh, great speaker is, is a better listener. Now, tell us a little bit about the differences between having a live talk where you can feed off your audience's energy and when you're speaking to a camera like we do now. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I teach. I, I spent um, during COVID, uh, I was a region advisor and I was um, coaching, counseling and uh, training people for two years online. And what I learned is that it's almost, you know, a lot of times you say you have to feed off of the audience. And so I will look a little bit at the gallery, but depending on what I'm teaching or is it a message I'm trying to get out? Because if it's a message, I kind of fade out the audience 
and I just talk to the camera. Because when I do that, I know when I should lean in on the points that I really want you to hear and, you know, to be more relaxed in areas that I want you to feel that. And you just get to the point where all of a sudden people forget that you're even on camera, that you just feel like I'm in the audience with the folks. And for a person, what I found that's so fascinating is for a person who's a little bit anxious if you will, to speak in person, whenever you can train them to get comfortable with talking to that camera, I have them put little two eyes above the camera or a face of their grandbaby or, or someone they love above the camera. So they're really just talking to that person and not that dot. But when you do that, all of a sudden, the nerves that you had about people, and if your content is really good, it will resonate with the people and those areas where you know that they'll laugh, they'll laugh. And those areas where, you know, you're going to grab their heart and tug at it and have them part of it, they will. And so all of a sudden it's like not necessary. So I know a lot of people say in person, you have the energy and it is different. It is different, but it doesn't have to be, this does not have to be worse. And it's really the art and, and you have to just practice at it. And as you said, just keep doing it, making mistakes, like, and seeing, okay, let me watch back that podcast and see what I could have done better. And that's a very good tip too, to watch yourself on video. And in the yeah. beginning, I can tell you, it is scary. You think, <laughs> oh my God, did I really say that? Oh my God, is that me? Look at my face there. Oh, I scratched my head. I put my finger in the nose. Ah! <laughs> yeah, but but you know what? Oftentimes, just as you said, um, people didn't see that video. You know, people might not even notice that you did all those things. And they don't. When you watch it back, you know. Yeah, I know. And that is, and that is really a good point that you said that because mm -hmm. it's true. The people that watch the video, they are so with the message, ideally. They don't notice nothing. And, and what I used to, in, when we were in person, I used to have the people that I coached video themselves because they struggle oftentimes. And, and because I'm sitting, you can't really see, but they, they struggle with this, their hands. You know, they either are like, do, 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 do. Um, another funny story. When I first started uh, coaching, one of the guys was a, a marketing person. And he knew he had public speaking 101. He knew that he needed to use his gestures as much as possible. <laughs> and it was so robotic and so stiff that it was comical. And it made you just not pay attention to what he's saying because you're waiting to see what he was going to do next. <laughs> and, and so what I try to teach is natural gestures. You know, if, if you want to do anything, it has to be purposeful. It needs to make a point. It makes people hear what you're saying, see what you want, but it has to be for a purpose. And the more natural and purposeful you are, the, the more almost invisible, because now it just complements your words. It doesn't distract from what you're saying. 
And so uh, having you be able to video yourself, you can see, oh, well, you know, where, where should I make that move on the stage or where should I add that gesture? And also how can I use my eye contact more impactfully, my facial expressions? Because I have some great facial expressions that like you said, you just like, oh my God, she did that. But, and um, the best thing is to have a, a photographer in the audience that's um, not, that's not their normal job. And they just are clicking away and they get you, <laughs> they get you at some great points. <laughs> By the way, there's, there's a, a, a fun thing to do if you dare to do that. I did it a while ago. I took pictures of myself making faces and gestures in a green screen. Oh, yes. Then I removed the background and I can use it for the YouTube thumbnails and so on. It looks horrific. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, it catches people's attention. It goes back to the first thing where we say engage, attract your audience, <laughs> you know, however you Much icky. That's <laughs> right. Right now, you can yes. get, the, get that mom voice. <laughs> Uh, you know, why not have fun when you do this? Exactly. And I think one thing I had to learn when I want the others to see my hands, I have to often hold them a little higher than I used to. It's it's really, you know, if you're in this little box, it is all around your face. If you just remember shoulders, face, there's where my hand should be. <laughs> then yeah. it, they'll be seen. If you do this, you know, where, oh, I see she's doing something with her hand. Now and then, I did all my hand gestures. Didn't you see them? <laughs> my hands are moving. <laughs> so, so, and, and I'll oftentimes, you know, I'll I'll give you one of the the free things I do is a checkup of your setup, and so you'll have people where, um, the you know there's they're not they're so far away that you can see where they are, right? But they'll have people that are like there's here, <laughs> and there's like all this up above. And so it's the thing of thirds. So your eyes should be where your camera is and then your, your shoulders should be the next area. And so you have your head, you know, your eyes to here, the bottom part, and then here, you should have space above you just like you do so that you can see, I, I don't care about your ceiling. <laughs> and um, I, I don't care if I had my camera like way over there, that would be kind of weird or whatever. So. You want to just think about your positioning. Again, you're trying to take away from the person's mind that they're talking to you as a talking head and that they feel like they're in the room with you, just having a conversation. And I really think now that we have talking heads that you mentioned that artificial intelligence produces, <laughs> they are pretty good. I looked at them, but that's it they don't have that range of expression and they never have any really meaningful gesture, at least yeah. not yet. Yes, I know. Well, give it time. <laughs> no, I hope never. Because I think the care and love that a human can give others will never be replaced with artificial intelligence. Yeah. Just a robot. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. So to come to the end of this podcast, by the way, I had a wonderful time with you. I did too. <laughs> how to speak. Uh, what can you 
tell the audience? How can they contact you? They say, I need to meet Vicky. I need to learn how to present <laughs> on stage. I always freeze and I need my script and read every word. I want to meet her. How can they meet you? What's the best way to meet her? So if you go to my website, which is www findyourleadershipconfidence.com again findyourleadershipconfidence.com you can just pick I have several different types of um, calendar invites or events that you can choose from slay your video is one that will help me do a free checkup of your setup but there's one that's just for initial conversation and that's what I like to do um, there, I have programs. I have um, one or three month, six month, and one year long coaching. I also do courses. I customize courses for companies to come in and talk to their employees to be able to be better speakers and presenters. And I also um, have my podcast. And so if you want to be on my podcast, you can go there and there's a click for Be My Guest and you can be my guest but that's how you no, can get awesome. and vicky i'll make sure to put the link to your website right underneath your name and picture here on the video awesome so thank, thank you, you much. so much it's been so much fun meeting with you same here and that is the end of this episode of sparkles for better mental health and yes speaking confidently will help your mental health Personal growth in five dimensions. Make sure to subscribe to the next episode. Bye-bye. When you combine modern science, ancient wisdom, nature experience and love, magic happens. I'm Dr. Christine Sauer, physician, naturopath, coach, human. It feels like magic to my clients and their lives are transformed through the skills combination of natural and human sciences, ancient philosophies, and caring human-to-human -human interaction. Discover this kind of modern wizardry and let's prepare powerful healing potions together. Come and enter our wonderful world of wellness.